podcast, the only book club podcast that does, on the whole, question the authority of the Intergalactic Senate insofar as it clearly supported the assassination of the divine Androgene Emperoress in cold blood. It's blatantly manipulative by the techno-priests and that whole crew, the techno-technos, and they, they clearly influence the Endoguards. And I, I think that, Amanda, we can say that that will not stand. <laughs> it will not. <laughs> Whose authority do you recognize, Amanda? Um, the Inkles. Okay. You're more of a spiritual <laughs> person then. Not so much concerned with daily governance of, uh, of the worlds. Nah, they can they can do their own local government type stuffs. Okay, you're more uh, more into the cosmic, you know, transcendent knowledge then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are you concerned with the happenings on? Is it? Did they call it Tur Twenty One or like Tur Nine Twenty One? They did give a name it, to the planet. Yeah, it was like yeah. So the the pseudo Earth. <laughs> yeah, whatever. The, I th- I'm pretty sure it's not Tur. It's probably short for Terran, so it's probably Terra. Yeah. But whatever. Yeah. Call it what we Terra want. If you, listener, have no idea what we're talking about, that is because you have stumbled upon a book club episode for a graphic novel called The Inkle or The Inkal, which we'll get to pronunciations in a little bit. Book club episodes for us here on the pod are deep dive analytical episodes, so today we'll be discussing again the graphic novel by uh, Hodorowsky and Mobius uh, called The Inkal. If you're unfamiliar with the podcast, welcome. We are The Lightly Literary Podcast. We have social media accounts you can follow at that title, so it's at The Lightly Literary Podcast, which is all one word. You can find us on Facebook and instagram under that name where we post updates schedule things we let you know we're reading some promotions and art and other fun stuff so find us there um rate and review wherever you found this podcast please and thank you five star reviews help a ton and recommendations are always welcome as well so if you're looking to give somebody a gift of a podcast which you may or may not be we we make a solid one uh, as i mentioned book club episode for us today amanda specifically part one of we should get this out of the way are you going with ink call or ink cow Cal call. I don't. Or Cole. All like I said, Inkle or Inkal. Okay. I don't know. I'm gonna go with in. I think I'm gonna keep going. My heart wants to say Inkle just because it's faster. I think, (laughs) but I think my Mm -hmm. brain wants to say Inkal. And also the way this world is with its densities and insanities, as we alluded to in the intro. It's probably if you had no idea what we're talking about, you probably haven't read it. Anyway, so I think my yeah, I want to say Inkal, but. I did check, so I checked three YouTube videos yesterday. Uh, there were different graphic novel reviews of the book, uh, like fans who liked it, analyses, stuff like that. I heard literally different pronunciations, like Inkle, Inkal, Inkal. Like, it, I don't think anyone knows. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to just go with what you'd like. Inkle's fine with me. I think that's okay. <laughs> I'm going to go with Inkal, Inkal probably. But it's, it's okay. okay. We're talking about the same thing. Um, yeah. Book Club episodes are analytical deep dives, so we'll be spoiling the first half of this graphic novel. You found the part one episode to this this graphic novel. Um, specifically, it's uh, you listed, Amanda, that it's 14 chapters. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. What's yeah. the most crucial thing that's probably easiest for somebody who's reading this? We are going to spoil through the section called What Lies Beneath. So if you finish the section called What Lies Beneath, then we will spoil all that stuff. Um, what we are not touching yet, and I can, isn't it What Is Above is the next part? Yeah, the next part yeah, is start, called yep, What Is Above. So we will not be discussing What Is Above at all and anything after that. So it's, it's split almost directly in half. So hopefully that made sense. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? 
this was my pick so I'll briefly explain it this is an art book rack after all I don't want to get too into this but I just have admired Mobius's art for a long time I own a couple of graphic novels by him including Adina the world of Adina which is a difficult to unpack and understand also a kind of techno utopian spiritual psychedelic universe journey <laughs> very similar mm-hmm. art style i this is how i would frame mobius's artwork to people who have never seen it and if you're listening to this and haven't read the book or anything feel free to google images from from mobius or again the ink all uh, or any of his work this is how i phrase it when i was a really young kid i really liked to draw big scenes of like battles i think i was like obsessed with I don't know, like war scenes or dinosaur scenes and stuff. Are you, can you picture what I'm talking about? They're really bad, like 2D art. But I would, it was mm-hmm. all about like, can I put a hundred guys on this page? Kind of a vibe. Like I'm gonna nice. cram in like a bit. You know, there's ten tanks and there's a helicopter and it's just like big, big scenes. Um, Mobius is like if I was good at art when I was a child. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's like, I like, it. I like it's that simple lines, it's bright colors, it's bold, but it and it really he does best to me in the details. So it's like when, or sorry, in the overwhelming uh, grandiosity of details. So when there is a scene of massive scale, I think his art is the is the best. Uh, is he the best at a portrait of a face? No. <laughs> so I think that's kind of where he sits for me. But it does. It, it's like aspirational art when I was a kid, but I didn't have the skill. So it's like seeing Mobius accomplish my childhood dreams or something. Nice. How have you responded to the art before we get into the uh, analysis? I um I find it I, I enjoy it. I think that it's it's really interesting. It's it reminds me of um it it does make me think of like early early anime like when anime first started up. The kind of mm-hmm the boldness and the brightness and the way that the uh the facial expressions uh versus like the far away scope of some of the art like mm-hmm. the detail yeah. in in the facial expression specifically with um emotions it it makes me think of like really early anime I could see that, yeah. And he Mobius I think is famous most for landscape, big crowd scenes, and also just like psychedelic space stuff like that's the Mm -hmm. experimental strange weirdness of space you know unknown societies weird alien civilizations that kind of stuff so this is a good introduction to his vibe i chose it just because i really like his stuff and i've never read this i've actually owned this one for a while i bought this i think last year when i was just looking for new graphic novels and picked it up and just never got around to it so this is the perfect chance to force it upon you i think Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, let's dig into this book, Amanda, and get to our analysis. We do our analysis in chronological order of the work now, so let's talk about what the first kind of few parts are about. Uh, we'll start with The Night at the Crimson Ring, and then we're going to go through His high, uh, Supreme Highness. Let's dig into this one. This story opens with John Difool or Defool, depending on how you want to pronounce that last name. Very choice name. Uh, it's right there, right in the name. What a fool. Um, he's a Class R private investigator, which we are kind of, impl- it's implied later that's not very impressive, <laughs> um, who's yeah. about to get tossed down Suicide Alley, which is a huge pit in an underground city on a, apparently some version of Earth, though it doesn't ever make that super clear. And, and he's going to get tossed into a lake of acid. Suicide Alley. He's getting thrown in. So it, it deals with immediately a lot of things. Future tech, 
unknown Earth, maybe like super futuristic society, and it's a crime story. Uh, but he is in luck. So before these in, uh, unknown thugs are able to kill him, which they do throw him down, and they kind of shake him down, right? They want something from him. He gets yeah, saved. After beating him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After kicking him, yeah, punching. Um, he gets saved by the city's <laughs> robo-police unit, which I think only later it's fully confirmed they're robots. Um, anyway... He then gets, of course, in uh, interrogated by the police. He confesses to them that he, the previous night, had escorted an aristocrat, which I think they use aristo. Is that the term for yeah. it? Aristos, yeah. Yeah, some rich lady to the red light district, which is not called that. It's called the Crimson Ring, but it's the same thing, to have some sex, <laughs> some vigorous sex with a wolf man <laughs> who will come <laughs> back later. Um, and so he, he says he went on that mission to get paid for that, and it went wrong, and then he just woke up randomly. Uh, but that is a lie. So up to that point, Amanda, did you see where the story was going? Or it comes in fast and furious. Yeah, I had no idea. And like the the note that I have actually is just that I found the introduction kind of, I don't know, for me personally, wasn't like that uh, compelling. I think mm-hmm. mostly from the the narration and the dialogue itself because it's actually kind of repetitive in a couple of spots yeah but and very stiff the, i find yeah so which later it's not like that it was just at the beginning and i was kind of like so the first like 14 pages i was like what mm-hmm. did travis choose and then like once i got past that i was like oh actually i kind of like this yeah and I, i'd reiterate so you remember the image when he gets tossed and it's a full pager and it's like a it's yeah. a one point perspective going way down and it had like that's the page that causes me to pick this basically mm-hmm. on its own turn like on its own because it's it's those sweeping things that mobius gets into this is a 90 eight percent mobius pick i don't really know who hodorowski is nor do i care about it like i'm finding his writing to be like kind of just meh and kind of stiff overall it's it's fine it's not harmful at times but i'm just here for the world and the strangeness and then the art basically just to be clear that's i because i agree with you completely it's like john is not that interesting a character the conflict right. is really bland at first and just kind of way too simply portrayed it's like it's both too chaotic and fast um, when the wolfman shows up for example like okay tease the world out obviously there's half human half wolf people in this world but like yeah that character is not that interesting they don't give him a lot to do except for get mad it's just i don't know it, it's all felt a little shallow i agree with you it's really spectacle and like weird world building that is that would if you're gonna it, yeah. get drawn in that's why probably that's that's a great way to put that i the i i like how you know i think that there's interesting elements to the world and everything but but sometimes I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> What's happening totally. right now? What's going on? And, totally. And then, like, when they speak to each other, I'm like, is is that, like, a purposeful, like, the 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 choice of, of dialogue there? Is that purposeful? Like, are they meant to be really stiff and, like, kind of awkward? And Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It is in know. translation, I think, too. So, or some, uh, maybe yeah, it was true. at some point. So, anyway, he's saved. He does not fall into the death pit. Um so we learned then later in flashback that that night he took her to the red light district. He actually ran into a, a goblin type creature in the in the vents because um, he's running from the wolfman who he, who he angered. Is his name Kill? Kill Wolfman? 
<laughs> yeah, I think Fuck. it's called yeah, kill kill, kill wolf. Yeah, kill wolf or something. Wolf head. Wolf kill head. Kill wolf head. Um, yeah. So he runs into this creature who who dies. It turns out that he recognized it as a Berg, which is an alien race that was thought to be a myth or rumor only, but apparently they're real. And the Berg hands him a mysterious item, which is called the Inkal or the Inkle. So he carries that with him, lies to the police, has it. When he gets back to his apartment after being interviewed, he finds out that his bird, which is not Birdo, but it's something like that, Depot? Depot. Depot. It has given his bird basically Jesus power, like Christ power. He's restoring and healing people. He is declaring prophecy. It is like his bird is now Jesus Christ. And so uh, this reveals that the Incal is an artifact of great power and importance, though John has no clue what the hell is happening. Um, then the Bergs attack again. So DeFool learns that like the Bergs really want this thing. They, they are desperately after it. Uh, he escapes, though, manages to escape, and is then summoned by the city's president, which, which which is with a Z. I'm not ever going to pronounce it that way again. <laughs> but, you know, just for the <laughs> listeners who haven't read, uh, who is a vain person, a ruler who really just is interested in, you know, the benefits of ruling class life. Um, he literally is introduced by killing off his old out-of-shape body to just upgrade to a prettier one. So apparently consciousness is transferable in this in this world so we learned that at least for him yeah yeah yes that very much is is clear any initial thoughts about the president or the politics of the world once they open it up a little bit um i thought it was really interesting uh in particular with the president um because mm-hmm. he's in a floating island city yes um, and above. they are right and the media is like um, all about oh our amazing immortal president is about to uh, transfer his consciousness and stuff and it's very praise worthy of the president and I was like oh okay so that's what the media is going to be like in there so I thought that was uh, that's that's something that I do like about about mm-hmm. uh, the stuff is like you can infer certain things without them having to actually tell you so yeah I like yeah. that and I, I like that scene in particular because it tells us a lot about the world and about that president. Yeah, definitely. The president also wants the Inkle, or Incal, and I don't even know if he knows why. He just wants it. Um, John does not want to give it to him, feels compelled not to, so tries to escape him as well. He briefly, when he does escape, um, effectively, he does commune with the device and has a very strange metaphysical scene where he sees his personality traits come outside of his body. The Inkle also kills him. (laughs) It decapitates him, but then also revives him, so it is apparently benevolent in some way, but also extraordinarily powerful um so then he continues on that train he's hiding out on and he's headed toward as we find out later the techno techno city or the techno city it has a couple other titles too i think from the first section other than things we've already discussed to me really the crowning moment of this opening section is the scene with depot not because of its strangeness so that's fun and i think the dialogue does work because it's so clearly um, what's the ecclesiastical maybe or it's sort of like you know it's so preachy it's so Jesus <laughs> which is a funny mm-hmm. little twist but the drawings too in the scene if you just look at some of the panels of the crowds it's it's very where's Waldo but like done with a slightly more mature twist 
with slightly better framing, obviously it's not as chaotic, and there's a couple of frames just when Depot's chaotically fluttering around, people are screaming different things, that's when the kind of dialogue overload really works for me. When it's the chaos of the crowd, all of a sudden there's a panel with different colors in the green on mine, where they're getting like shot and people are clearly getting killed by bergs now, they're invading and pushing in. It's like, I think the moments of the destruction, the chaos, the noise work best, and I think it amplifies, or not amplifies, but is accented by the writing just because without that when the when it's quiet when the characters speak to each other like in conversation it is it's just so stiff and it just yeah. doesn't have a lot of interest yeah yeah the the crowd scene i really enjoyed as well like and it was so strange with depot because i was like is that a pterodactyl what the fuck is that yeah, who <laughs> knows <laughs> who knows put it up there with the wolf kill wolf head <laughs> I know. but i was like what is happening right now but that just added to the feeling of chaos in general and um and i just i did i really liked the the art for that as well and the um and the chaotic vibe just i mean that was perfect it was so great yeah definitely yeah um, okay, so then let's continue on to the next section. So um, the funeral train, which is what he's he had escaped yes. on. Yes. Um, and so it reaches Techno City, and instead of trusting the trusting the Inkle, who wants to reach the Black Inkle, which is in the Techno City, uh, Defool panics and leaves the conveyor belt of dissection, and is caught in the process of trying to escape. And then brought directly to the Shadow Egg. Um, <laughs> yes, one of many, apparently. A spoiler for later. Yeah. <laughs> one of 10,000, but at the, at the time, yeah. it seemed very important. <laughs> it is. It, right. It, it was just a weird thing. It's just, yeah. It is actually a giant black egg. Um, <laughs> we're then mm-hmm. introduced to the great mercenary, the Meta Baron, who is blackmailed into working for Queen Amuk, who uh, resides down by the, the Lake of Acid. Yes. Uh, to retrieve Defool as his son, Saloon, is being held hostage by Queen Amuk. So mm-hmm. she's forcing his hand there. Uh, to find Defool, the Meta Baron must break a vow, which he never clarifies. Um, well, he clarifies later, but an escape unscathed from an interlevel war. So there's yeah. like the Aristos that we had talked about before, but then there are other levels of. Um, people so the lower down the level is is what i was understanding so the the actual physical space the lower you get towards the core the more undesirable you are so the aristos live the closest to the surface with the president on a floating island yeah and so suddenly there's an interlevel war going on that was not going on before the inkle was found so definitely (laughs) no and i think um is it Queen Amok's people who are then fighting that inter 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 level conf- inter level conflict? I think it is, right? Yeah, the yeah Queen Amok's um, um, rebels. They keep call- referring to them as the rebels. So, yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. I think that p- moment too when they enter the. A- I'm just gonna call it the Acid Kingdom. I'm sure she had another name for it, right? But it's Queen Amok's kingdom. Yeah. Also, love that she's sitting on a throne shaped like an A, and that her earrings are A's. It's just absurd. Yeah. It's like <laughs> so 80s. That is yeah, so 80s. Actually, yeah, that's a great point. That is very 80s music video. That's a oh, man. I <laughs> that aesthetic would have escaped me. It, it looks like an 80s music video. Actually, now that you say that, oh goodness. I I would shout out um, the kind of. Pan- work 
and coloring too on the on the acid kingdom introduction once the meta baron is summoned and kid is taken hostage it's just again it shows the kind of breadth and creativity the different angles of it, it opens with the profile on the bridge then kind of widens to like he just does well with grime too i think that's what his pen lines do best is like intricate little grime things when everything looks like it's melty or wet <laughs> or, or like caked over with disgust those are just the most effective kind of moments to me so i thought the page minus 43 years might be different but it's yeah it introduces the meta baron and that kingdom and stuff and then you can kind of see in this in the background on the next page or in the sidelines there's different people living outside the kingdom you can see some kind of like hard scrabble people and then to be again contrasted with the queen's introduction on that absurd throne it looks like um oh gosh what's it called it looks like schoolhouse rock letters to me <laughs> it does yes yeah. so mm-hmm. just like her pink aesthetic the colors are always so loud i think with mobius and so bright kind of obvious but not in a bad way anyway i, I like those intro panels though for the acid kingdom i thought it was a good yeah. it's it's just so clearly another place another world coming off the um the aristocrat land yeah it's it's the complete opposite yeah yeah the yeah. with um the aristos there he's they're all resting on like giant pillows they all have halos around their head oh and, yeah nice little touch if a little yeah. again hitting it on the head maybe a little bit but i don't think this world building is subtle really not when we're about to talk about the mech droid necro droid or whatever the fuck is yeah the, yeah 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 so so <laughs> the i think the uh, the images are not very subtle, which mm-hmm. I like, but the writing and the explanation of the world itself is really subtle, which actually I enjoy mostly. So I like that a lot of it is stuff that we can just like kind of figure out on our own. So like the interlevel wars, for example, it mentioned like the media mentions that um, this had been kind of building up over time. It doesn't really say why that is, but the fact that it's called the interlevel and the fact that we saw how the Aristos live right, versus right. like Queen Amok. <laughs> and yeah. although she's doing really well for herself, um, she's got a bunker down but, there. It's like the, Met, well, the exactly. Meta Baron, I guess, has his own little kingdom, <laughs> but right. she has something. So. Yeah. Um, so I like that stuff. And then with the Techno City, I found it fascinating that there was a lot more um, drop, um, like info dropping where it was talking about the Aristos have superior parts. And I was like, that's interesting. But mm-hmm. that there are also more mutations that are occurring in them. So that was another interesting thing that I was like, oh, I wonder if this is going to come back to like with any information later. Um, and then the that when these people die the reason that there's a funeral train is that mm-hmm. those the people's parts are harvested yes to yes be remade into robots and stuff and i was like what yeah so, yeah we'll get that, to that, that in a later segment I liked. but yeah, yeah great moment too yeah i really enjoyed that i thought that was and and it was just stated so matter of fact and he like the way that the the dude was it the techno pope himself or someone one, one of his, his lackeys one of his yeah underlings or something yeah was the one who was like what do you think we do with all these body parts huh <laughs> like mm-hmm. i just i don't know i really enjoyed that i i like the world building that comes but is not doesn't stay overstay its welcome it's not something that he like tries to over explain which we can get in a traditional sci-fi novel or fantasy novel yeah it's i think it's the moment too. these sections where the not this graphic novel could burst apart into incoherence for some people or 
for someone like me who can accept some maybe like sloppy fast world building but that's creative and fun and weird i think for me it like locked me in to be like oh yeah let's ride this out like whatever the hell's happening here there's a techno pope now there's like a city of corpses (laughs) being harvested there's you know and then obviously there's the underground but i could see for another person thinking like this is so whiplash this is madness kind of like the pace Mm -hmm. of this is that also does come back to a little bit of if you're unaccustomed to reading graphic novels like I I almost feel like maybe this is just me too I could be projecting aggressively here but I almost feel like you can read them too quickly and so I always have to slow myself down like I almost read each page each page twice is kind of my my method because otherwise you can rush and you forget that like it's just not paced the same as a novel it it does move quickly if you move too quickly and I think you really are meant to slow down and not assume that panel to panel page to page is like you know second to second like there's some huge jumps that they don't you know they're not going to explain so you can get overwhelmed I guess but the I could see this run of the book because it's you know at this point it's clearly the scope is just blowing up (laughs) so it's like either you're going to ride with it or you're going to abandon it I think Mm -hmm. yeah any other thoughts on that section um nope i'm good well let's keep riding then um next moments are from i think it's is it ove tenebre is that uh is it latin (laughs) um the ova is actually french Mm -hmm. i looked that Mm -hmm. up and then tenebre is um uh, a a religious reference so latin fantastic okay so which is the the darkness it's um oh it's like getting rid of uh, you light the candles and then you go it's almost like a menorah but it's with the christian faith instead for a gotcha. particular time gotcha and as you light as as you distinguish each light it gets darker and darker and so the tenebrae is like the final light and the final darkness oh okay so are they saying put out the light is that the i think so i yeah, think so i mean that's yeah. what they want so let's get it and then we're going to go through panic on the inside outside um in the next section the techno pope who is now a person we have to know about <laughs> reveals that his plan <laughs> is to destroy the light in call and release the black or dark in call which he now reveals that he has right he has it doesn't he mm-hmm. the, okay it just gets yes. confusing because there's some swapping that's about to go down so <laughs> it's just want to make sure well he he this is when he gets the dark in call the black in call from whom was that the one that I thought the one that he has to defeat the the inside of the egg? Oh, it was in the egg. Oh, okay, okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So yeah, so but his desire basically is to like use the dark or black ink all to essentially end all life to turn the universe into utter darkness. So no, mm-hmm. yeah, he just wants to consume everything. We learn later that he literally wants to eat suns, but like. like the stars (laughs) Uh, but we'll get to but so it's very literal like he wants the universe to be blacked out uh so he's got his death cult all whipped up into a frenzy they're going nuts they want to sacrifice to fool who has again the lightning call and won't give it up uh before that all that can happen though depot dives in and saves the day he attacks the techno pope swoops in it it sets off a chain of events that i won't say because it's just too much happening but it destroys the techno city it explodes basically (laughs) that's what happens that's the conclusion there's some there's some fighting in the egg there's some monster you know crab fighting the inkle sends a laser beam what it's just you know this graphic novel is insane and so the techno city is destroyed in the wreckage of the city defool is now naked for some reason (laughs) or you know almost um, he, he has a loincloth. <laughs> yeah, he and Anima appropriately meet, and they, they're both dressed like cave people. Um, some Cro-Magnon meeting. Uh, Anima <laughs> does not explain who she is. She shows up. She's mysterious. She's riding on, I wrote down here, mouse back or rat back. We learn later that it's psycho rat back. <laughs> she shows up on <laughs> psycho 
Ratback, and he feels compelled for some reason to give her the Inkal. Though, does he give the her the dark inkal. one? Okay, yeah, I was yeah. going to say, he gives her the black Inkal, so he still has the light one. Um, she says nothing, basically, and just is like, peace, man. Yeah, He's like, I dreamed of you. She says, goodbye. And then he's captured by the <laughs> Meta Baron, who, let's not forget, is on the mission to capture him, and, um, and he does so. What was your impression of the anima scene? Because... Again, it has these moments of plot incoherence that I forgive based on art alone, but it, it's it's really pretty bad storytelling, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, with the with that scene, I was like, "Who is she, and why is she just like? Why would he give her something so important that he just risked his life to get? And then she just is like, peace. <laughs> There's a." this destroyed city and there's no way for you to survive out in this apparently like frigid ice land where she where she came from yeah he says nothing he just knows he dreamt of her when when she's about to leave after he gives it i I just pulled the page mine 75 she says what's your name she says anima and then she leaves and then he goes well when will i see you again she leaves then his two emotions come out and they kind of bicker and then he says give me back my ink all bitch and it's like all right man come on what are we who's writing this <laughs> like what is happening in the story you know my beloved and then he chases her it's like I, I mean i know a lot of this is hallucinogenic in nature kind of psychedelic and so it's it's not meant to be a hundred percent it's it's not like characters have to explain their motivations perfectly or something to make it to make it good but it's just that like a new character can be so quickly introduced at such an opportune happens to be the perfect there's just so much happenstance at the perfect moment in this book it's just kind of that story it's like not a very well carefully plotted uh thoughtful story it's more just like a chaotic sci-fi story i guess is it yeah definitely chaotic you have to you have to let go of certain like uh plot expectations i think with this <laughs> definitely yeah and it's just a lot of convenience across the board in a lot of moments i i will say for this section there's um sorry if i'm leaning away from the mic too much here i'm trying to pull a page um it's staying in no matter what listeners sorry <laughs> on, on 72, we get a little more with the president, and I like that it's intercutting the destruction of the city with the president's lavish life, basically. He lives in a yeah. essentially an Eden-esque environment, perfect gardens, perfectly maintained, you know, he's surrounded by his hunchback uh, kind of guards, I guess, his elite guard of hunchback soldiers, which I... Should we? I don't even know what to say about that. It's. <laughs> I don't think that gets written today. Is I guess what I'll say about it. It's not like it's. There's not really any commentary on why that is or what would make it so. It. it we could probably infer some commentary here, like they have a genetic deformity, quote unquote, which in contrast to him, who wants seemingly genetic perfection and and kills his clones to get it. There's maybe some kind of domination idea there, or some kind of supremacy thing to that but it's it's another thing this story will happily throw at you and not explain which i think is again it's richer for that in my opinion but that one's a little maybe again insensitive but i I just like those scenes in his garden it's it's clear what his lifestyle is it's clear what his priorities are you know he's having his orgies and eating his fruits and living in his garden um yeah and telling his guards to f off while yeah the 
city goes to hell. Yeah, it's, it's another bit of, I think when he got introduced, I think the story cohered a bit for me just because it gave me another clear point of view that they can kind of mess with and play with. But I, I clearly understood his characterization by how it was done. And so I liked the cuts back to him because it just felt like I, I could get the world from his point of view and was able to like see what was going on, you know, outside. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like his. I don't like him as a character, but well, no. I think that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think that um, his world and his way of thinking is very well realized mm-hmm. in in the novel so far. Um, one thing that I noticed is there is an inclusion of some of the French. So the the very fact that it uses Ove Tenebre, Tenebre, but also like some of the sound effects and stuff are not what you would normally find in like an English uh, um, an actual English written book uh, so you don't see like boom pow <laughs> or anything right, but right. it's like these different sound effects but also I noticed that uh, when Defoul is like um, set up to be sacrificed and then, then the big machine is coming down to like tear him apart instead of saying just no like N-O-O-O it actually does the French N-O-O-O-N so oh. I thought that was really, yeah, huh. I thought that was really interesting that so much of like the French um, words, so many French words were actually being used in the the graphic novel instead of like, I mean, they, they translated obviously the most of the dialogue and everything, but I, I just, I was just wondering why some things were still in French, but other things were not. Yeah, and I didn't pick up on this. I mean, I know that Mobius is French, and I think Khodorovsky is like Chilean or Argentinian. Um, I should look that up. That those are two different countries. It's not like that's the same thing. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I just I just forgot which it is. But yeah, I it could just be a Khodorovsky or I'm sorry, a a Mobius influence that stayed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like I, I he drew and then also wrote. Yeah, I just have sound effects and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I just have no analysis for that at all. I I didn't know it's it's another detail. You've done this to me many times that I just did not pick up on. You've got to you've got to help me out and give the analysis because I didn't think about that for like one second. I was too fixated on the you know the president's hunchback soldier army. I was just like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) Well, I don't know. I was um, I haven't really thought about. I haven't really figured out, I should say, because it's like I noticed it the most in these chapters, but then it, like with the Techno City stuff. But then in as I continue reading, I don't notice it as much like it just is like right in this area is when I saw the most of the, the French um, influence there. So I was just like, OK, well, is that just um I don't know. Is it just like an oversight? Is it because it's part of the actual paneling rather than in the dialogue box? I mean, it doesn't bother me. It was just, I just, no, definitely. Yeah. Worth bringing up for sure. Yeah. Um, so the next, uh, section is anima through the emperoress. Right. Yeah. It's a weird word. Um, well pronounced. That's that's correct. (laughs) Thank you. Um, the fool grants total control to the ankle, which then gives him laser eye beams to defeat the cardio claw, which finally reveals the black 
Oh, I summarize. I summarized these parts already. Sorry, I must have skipped over yeah. your part. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah, like, yeah, wait no, a yeah, yeah. We did this. We did this. So pick up okay. where. Yeah, yeah. Pick up with uh, in the rebellion because really that's the we, we saw him give it to Anima. The interlevel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pick up yeah, there. Got it. Okay, I'll leave a. Do you want me to leave a pause? Yeah, yeah. It's fine. Meanwhile, the interlevel war rebellion results in a muck forces, so that's Queen Amok, forces yes. storming the floating palace and forcing the president to barricade himself and reach out to someone called the Emperoress. Uh, the Metabaron has shot and supposedly killed Defoul and delivers his body to Queen Amok. Betrayal versus betrayal, though, as Queen Amok refuses to release Metabaron's adopted son, who turns out to be her own nephew, the son right. of Anima, dun dun dun. Yeah, this is when co- the if you're b- not into plot coincidences, your head's gonna explode. That's all of this. <laughs> it's like, can't does every character have to be interrelated to every other character in the plot? Like, They're what all are connected we, in some why way. are we doing this? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> um, and the other betrayal is that Defoul is not really dead. Ha ha. But in the entrance of survival, everyone works together to escape the necro droid which was released by the president upon the direct order of the emperoress who is dealing mm-hmm. with some intergalactic crisis of her his own there their own. own definitely there's literally two like bodies basically i there feels very safe to me yeah yeah isn't the president so the necrodroid it doesn't it transfer yeah, his consciousness he, to it yeah he did. Right. So that that is just the president becomes, and as it turns out, as we learn later, spoiler for up ahead, the necrodroid is like 10 devices in one. It just keeps changing. Fo- it's like an, it's like a transformer, honestly. It, that's a great, yeah. It is very much like a transformer. I'm wondering if this is like where some of the like, um, uh, what, it's not just uh, transformers, but what is the anime where the robots can transform themselves? Oh, Gundam so Wing? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how much they transform in Gundam, but they do things like that. It's true. They like can turn into tanks, or they have like sword arms and gun arms and stuff. Yeah, or like Power Rangers, like the original Power Rangers. Yeah, I will shout out here. <laughs> let's talk about again on my page eighty when when the city's being attacked, when the floating city's being raided by the by Kill and others. So many incredible moments, and I just think. Uh, again, to me, the story and the art co- cohere best in grand moments. It's just the chaos of the lines, the small detailing, the way the colors can pop. It's all just incredible. I thought I was really struck by the halo attack, which, again, is never fully explained. It just turns a person into a balloon, basically, and they explode. It looks like maybe it's yeah. some kind of like the way I read it, because it was kind of it looked balloon like or sort of like tumorous. I just assumed it was some kind of like cancer accelerant where it like poisons your body with some kind of uber cancer that, you know, makes your body explode with tumors or something, you know, but that's the kind of reading into something you get to do because these things are just <laughs> introduced at such a clip and so chaotically. I mean, we know the president's really cruel and that his, you know, troops need to do anything to quell the uprising, but I just think those moments are so incredible. There's such intensity to them. It's, it, again, it does the thing where it intercuts with the president scenes of luxury and lavishness and stuff, so it all works so well. But there, these are the, also the pages where you just get so, so many things over-narrated. Like, it's just so over-described 
mm-hmm. you know, that's on the one page. They're using techno techno equipment. We've been betrayed. This is a, during a big fight scene. Alert his supreme highness. The situation is beyond critical. And it's like it's saying the situation is beyond critical on a scene where we see they've ripped a massive huge city-sized rip into their hull like they've ripped the hull open and they're grappling up to it and like repelling up it's like i don't know and then there's two pages where they mention the hyper halo it's like we don't need to keep saying it's the hyper halo weapon it they're just it's just overly narrated there's just too many pages with dialogue words of either exposition and it's funny to say that too because it's there's both too much and not enough exposition you know it's like (laughs) i would love to know more about the origins of the hunchback soldier cult of guardians but also Mm -hmm. there's like no exposition about that which then i think is kind of fun and interesting for me but then also there's so much exposition of just like explaining to you what's in the panel like hey do you see what's happening in this panel do you get it and it's just too much for me yeah, that's um that's definitely one of my criticisms as well is like the I already see it and it's it's so wonderfully depicted as as artwork that I yeah. don't need the writer to explain to me what I can already see with my own eyes. Yeah. Um so that's definitely something that I've been kind of like Okay, so I, I really didn't need to read that text. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, not to say that that happens like a whole, whole lot, but it happens enough to where I get kind of like irritated when I do come upon that. Yeah. Um, for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's, I, I think, I mean, if you haven't, couldn't tell by now, I'm just enjoying the heck out of this. It's not nearly enough to detract from my overall enjoyment, but yeah. it's, it is an irritant for sure. And I just, it's funny because sometimes when you head to a dialogue box in one of these pages, these epic pages, so sumptuous and crazy and whatever you just don't know if it's going to be something you actually need to know it's like so uh, yeah. often you reach a dialogue <laughs> box and you're like yeah i don't care about this or like yeah i know yeah, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, i can figure that out yeah yeah, yeah. I, I agree um my <laughs> the thing that i noticed was what what got me was just queen amok is like I'm going to murder everybody. I'm going to kill my own nephew. Tear him apart. We don't need him. And yeah. go ahead and kill the Meta Baron. And then she turns around and she's like, okay, I'm going to save all our lives. Come on. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just like, yeah. what? The-, the, the turnaround on that was just so fast. I, I guess, I mean, I know that it's because she's in danger. And so it's like survival. Um, she, she, maybe feels like she needs them or she can't escape them to just save herself so she's just like I guess come on but like even later she just continues to like hang out with them and stuff it's like what (laughs) just the characterization is not always consistent i feel like no uh, with, it, with several of these characters it's <laughs> it's way too fast this group which they now want to sell us on in the next section is kind of like a group of bandit or the group that's banded together you know these these yeah. hard scrabble crew they're they're in it to get like they just try and sell us on that in like two pages worth of work <laughs> it's like these yeah. are strangers they're they hate each other they're enemies some of them they're one's a mercenary whose child was held that was a hostage like f- two minutes ago <laughs> right and, as and, you and she wanted to kill him yeah yeah, so it's it's sloppy stuff for sure. It's it's just one of those things, as we mentioned with the storytelling, that if you can't forgive certain basic, frankly, fundamental storytelling, I would call it, like, mistakes. I don't know if we could say that because it, it's a story. Like, I don't know if you can call it a mistake if it's a clear story. But, yeah, it's, like, very amateurish. Um, you're just trading that in for all the things we've enjoyed. <laughs> it's, it's a real trade-off, yeah. though, for sure. Yeah. 
Let's talk about that group, because the story now wants us to accept that they're now united. They're taking the Meta Baron ship, I believe, riding it through the Acid Lake. They're trying to escape. They're getting chased down. There's so much fighting. They get dumped right into the center of Earth, which we have now learned that is it's filled with human trash. Amanda, any uh, thoughts on that subtle commentary? No, I was like, yep, that makes sense. <laughs> There's a lot of commentary about how humans suck, so yeah, yeah makes sense. <laughs> and in the meantime, the intercuts with the television. Gosh, imagine the social critique this would have now that phones exist, yeah. for example. <laughs> this person yeah. is clearly extremely skeptical of television and the entire kind of philosophy of having a TV in your home. Oof, man, I, I hope he's doing okay now that cell phones exist. Anyway, um, <laughs> they get dumped into the trash land and get attacked by psycho rats uh then though anima comes to the rescue teaches them how to overcome the psycho rats you just don't fear them and then they go away pretty simple <laughs> they, they thrive on mm-hmm. your fear now again they are fully united as a band of of heroes here they get a reprieve they there's a garbage storm that happens again another subtle kind of cool world building thing uh the rats go enjoy it and they hide inside then they get attacked by the garbage eaters which are who are animus sworn enemies they live in the garbage land in the center of earth and they are kind of a ragtag looks like almost pirate-esque um they fight with you know swords and stuff spears and basic weapons and so the garbage eaters come for them um our group of heroes of course escape they fly away to the center of the sun because the power of the incal they have both incals now so they they get there they're going to look for answers basically like they they want to find the center of the earth they want to find the sun there and, and what you learn things from it the president though as we mentioned is now the necro droid at this point he has chased them and has turned into a mech which is straight out of transformers a <laughs> literal transformer <laughs> yeah. and he's running them down the group does make it to the center of the earth first they kind of traverse a labyrinth to get to the center sun while in the meantime the president just bashes through the walls which i kind of enjoyed those some of those panels with the circles and everything i thought those i don't mm-hmm. know i kind of have fun with that i thought that was fun who will get there first, Amanda? We know. It's our band of heroes uh, who get teleported <laughs> away. They, they do have to little do a little moment of characterization where they have to forgive each other because they have grudges. Uh, that read so, again, so shallow to me. I don't, I'm not sure yep. how you responded to that moment. It was just kind of like, oh, geez, this is not the best. This is, this story is not, this is not what it's doing well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like, actually, that was, <laughs> that was one of my notes is, um, especially Wolfhead. Um, who yeah. specifically told the Meta Baron at the beginning when Meta Baron was looking for a fool? He's like, bring him back alive so that I can kill him because I have a score to settle. Because Defool had shot him in the ear to interrupt him having sex with the Aristo, who turned out to be an old lady. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's all that. Uh, so, and he's like, I'm not going to forgive him. He owes me. Like I, I. I hate this guy, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, in the next panel, he's like, nah, it's all right. I forgive you, dude. It's cool. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's where the world building and its fun, crazy excesses does bash really hard against some of the character work happening. Because this is the first time I think the story really tries to sell some character moments, you know, between them reconciling mm-hmm. with each other to get in. But then also before that, the one I pulled was from the Meta Baron and his son, Saloon. Uh, I'm actually going to read from the panels here on 115. So this is their conversation. Saloon, where are you? Over here, father. This is the first time I've ever seen you cry, my son. And I think I know why. It's her, isn't it? 
Anima, my mom, she didn't even look at me. She's my mother, you're my father, and nothing. Why did she abandon us? She watches over us, Saloon. She's the one who opened the whirlpool in the acid lake. She doesn't love us. Saloon, we're in great danger. She has to act like a warrior. So, before I go on, like... Uh, all of his lines, like... <laughs> She's the one who opened the whirlpool. We that's a plot point that just happened. Like, what is that ad? It's just literally <laughs> recapping the story. Um she didn't even look at me. He's crying. I, like maybe kind of some subtle stuff there showing their history cuz obviously we can't like get a long backstory in their history. But but right. that's all he says is I've never seen you cry and then he, and then of course his lines, "She's my mother, you're my father." Like it's just so flat and simplistic. Um, Saloon, we're in great danger. That's his transition out of that. Like, I mean, I guess sometimes in a crisis, you do have to make things clear, but it all just is clunky. It's not very, it's effective, I guess, but I don't really, like, how would you describe their relationship? Would you say anything more basic than they love each other in the most flat sense? <laughs> right. It, like, they, they care about each other and he has resentment against his mom for leaving him and never reaching out to him like yeah like it it gets the job done as far as like telling us how his character feels but as far as like actually building that up in a storytelling way no it's not it's not done well <laughs> I, I will say this for example let's do a direct contrast since we've got i'm on these pages i feel like i learned more about the way that the garbage ears were dressed and their clothing and accoutrement and their methods and stuff than than I did from their conversation, right? Like, and that's, mm -hmm. if that isn't a clear enough contrast to show what this book does well and then kind of doesn't do well, then I'm not sure what is because that emotional quote unquote conversation is just so bland and is filled with summaries we don't need really. And instead, we eat, like, the garbage eater stuff, I'm, like, in raptures on those two pages, like, studying their clothing, looking at their little handmade weapons, like, looking into the crowd of them to see what kinds of weird looks they get and what kinds of strange descriptions are there. Not descriptions, more like drawings, of course, but, yeah, yeah it's just such a clear contrast in what the book can do well and what it can't, I feel like, on that page. Yeah, I, I, th I agree. Like, the looking at the panel and reading the panels like yeah the garbage dudes don't really say a whole lot but they say enough to for us to know like they right he says shoot them you losers like they're not yeah. nice <laughs> not yeah. even to each other and they have like they have like ropes of slime and of course that yeah. invites a lot of questions of like what you made it out of what <laughs> that's a turd their boots are like yeah covered in like this brown and green like yeah. yucky stuff and you're just like man yeah one of their fronts had like a ton of boils on it if you look close it's just like they're covered in boils and stuff and you're just like which makes sense what yeah. is happening to their like skin now that they live there you know they live in the garbage center of the earth it's yeah. just i don't know it, it's the it's the highs and the lows right to put it in the simplest cliche of what this story can do so yeah, yeah that's that's how i was feeling in that moment for sure any other thoughts on this as they transcend to the center of the earth uh nope i'm good take us home then because we've got a lot to cover here at the end yeah so the final final pieces here the golden planet through the doorway of transfiguration oh yeah um, there is an intergalactic meeting of leaders, a type of senate, if you will. Something. Reminded me a bit of Star Wars. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> who follow the Emperoress, or claim to. Mm. Um, Ramo and his crew provide evidence that a black egg is killing the Emperoress's forces and is tied directly to the Techno Groups. In response, mm. the Techno Group assassinates the Emperoress and imprisons Ramo and his crew on a water planet. Uh, meanwhile, Brutal. the fool and his crew are pursued into the Crystal Forest by the Necrodroid, where they fall asleep. Which is which is Ooh. now a Panzer tank by name. They literally <laughs> yeah. no, wait, don't they call it a, it a Panzer tank? tank? <laughs> which is like a model yeah. from World War II. That's like a German type of. That's like a very specific type of tank. That's another yeah. just. Uh, it's just such an odd book. This one. It's really wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderfully weird. <laughs> it's one of his final forms. Um, yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> Um, they fall asleep when Depot, the uh, pterodactyl, yeah. touches a crystal, um, though they quickly wake up when the Necrodroid tanks into the crystals, because that sound is unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, they make it to the doorway of Transfiguration, where we find out DeFool is Saloon's father. Dun, dun, dun. Another f- and that Saloon... Couldn't be, couldn't be more flat moment for me. Could not be. <laughs> it was just another moment of like... At every moment, these characters have to be deeply interconnected, interconnected for no reason. Like I just, yeah. Anyway, sorry. I, I'm I'm interested to see what their relationship is to uh, Wolfhead. Um. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we also find out that Saloon can become a starship and mm-hmm. manipulate time and space. Yes, yeah. thank God he had those good genetics, though. <laughs> That which apparently know, they knew because right? it was a one in a million chance, but she just knew he was the one. It's real sloppy chosen one stuff here. Like, the sloppiest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it was interesting. The, the Senate stuff, I was like, oh, cool. Like, all right. Yeah. Uh, like the, the grand scope of the intergalacticness and everything and, mm-hmm. and yes. the politics that go along with that and the grab for power. I was like, oh yeah, very real life. I like uh, the, I like that the panel when they, when the, I think it was the colonists who are trying to oppose the tech people the most, but they so they're calling mm-hmm. for, you know, this is madness. We got to overthrow you or, you know, let's, we're condemning you. And then the, the second that they regain control and they have the endo guards in their power, there's the same frame, but they're like, we support you way to go. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. The little mirrors <laughs> like job. that. Yeah. It's clever stuff. There's some nice subtle, um, well, relative, subtle storytelling in there too so i yeah that i think more i don't know i want to say like logistical world building i guess but the the political stuff has worked well for me it's not the most it doesn't have the most depth because it's not the story's main focus but i've appreciated it so much like i know i mentioned earlier when the president's whole world gets introduced it just gives me a much clearer sense of some of the stakes and some of the totality mm-hmm. kind of societal like totality of this happening as, as best as it can i guess it's pretty rushed but yeah it feels really essential to me those moments yeah i agree um one of the things, so I, I like the big ideas that are going on. Like I, I like the complexity of of the world and of uh, some of the plot elements. <laughs> but mm-hmm. on page one forty seven, like when they are uh, going through the doorway of Transfiguration and Saloon has not quite yet become the starship. Um, he's like hesitating and he says I'm scared do I need to be in the center and then Anima is just like Saloon you must leave your childhood behind and he says but how 
And she says, become your essential self. Rebuild your access. And then in the next panel, he begins the transfiguration process. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. okay, so that's like a huge idea of like, hey, stop being a child. And then what does it mean to rebuild your access? Like, and how as a mm-hmm. child do you understand what that even means? And how do you even go about doing that within like two seconds of yeah, you, you being informed? You don't. <laughs> <laughs> Just, but but you in the story you do yeah <laughs> it's it is so an, just like what <laughs> yeah it is an odd turn of phrase given he's about to become a literal ship with a literal axis on, in it you know or some kind of like yeah. directional in a directional sense but saloon mm-hmm. is such a nothing character i couldn't care less yeah. about this person i i thought he was a bargaining tool and you know in 20 pages where by the way like a hundred other world building things happen but in like 20 pages he goes from like the meta baron's son who cares he's just a bargaining chip and then all of a sudden he's right. a savior one in a million entity godlike chosen creation uh yeah it's just it does not cohere for for me nor does it need to perhaps right. it's again the ambitions of this book that i think are great are not those ambitions uh so <laughs> i'm cool with it right what'd you think of the the moment it's really the one like personal moment we get for john think of that like we've had half this book i feel like we don't know john at all other than he's a little bumbling and maybe like kind of a base character we know he, he like buys his you know sex worker robots and like he he has kind of base needs or whatever um but uh, like he finally has a moment where he breaks down and we get some up closes for example on his face do you remember this moment he's kind of yelling at anima Mm -hmm. a bit yeah i was like oh finally some emotion from him like yeah the only other emotion that we really saw was like the fear when um he like left the conveyor belt of of death there um, so we see a lot of his like fear and his reactions to fear, but like anger, we don't really see a whole lot of. And I thought that was the more human part of him coming out for sure. Yeah, this is a telling exchange. He says, you know, how angry he is, how he has nothing left. Like the ink hole was going to be his one kind of claim to fame. Now it's gone or the one thing he had. He does tell them, leave your con apps, go into the world towards the light, go to the light. And he's like screaming at them. It's a weird juxtaposition because he's looks like a demon possessed, but he's yelling at them to go to the light. It just at least yeah. he had some kind of human reactions to things. It was again, I, I thought it like a finally a decent moment of, of characterization for him. Just like like okay he's yeah. you know responding to this as a human should be <laughs> he's in a um you know in-call empowered human android hybrid spaceship and he's finally losing it i will say this um here's another great awkward exchange on 153 so he's all upset he doesn't know what his purpose is in the world anymore he says i'm coming anima what other choice do i have and then she responds not much john let's go the starship can take us to the <laughs> other side of the universe and it's just those those little dialogue exchanges are just so sloppy and basic and boring. <laughs> like it's yeah. that doesn't tell me anything about her. Maybe that she's hyper pragmatic, but we really haven't seen much from her. And so it's just, it really does feel like that's, I don't know what that does for her characterization in any way. And maybe it is meant to show, as I just said, she's super pragmatic and, you know, quick thinking or just sort of non-confrontational. I, I don't know. Not introspective. Who knows? But it that's being so generous in the reading. Like, it's just boring is what I think it should be said to be. <laughs> yeah, she's... Enema is, like, I... Th- she's just a vessel for the Inkle, right? Like, even yeah. um, Queen Amuck is, like... 
if she's always been that way, she does whatever the Inkle expects her to do, and, right, and she right. just obeys. So she doesn't have like a personality of her own just because she's she's just the the will of the Inkle. So it's it's yeah. <sighs> she could have been the queen of the psycho rats. Now she's got this trash <laughs> to deal with. She was living it up down there. She had paradise down there. <laughs> except yeah, for, except for paradise. The smell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except for the yeah, except for the smell. <laughs> Uh, any final thoughts on these ending moments? I guess we'll see where the politics go. We know there's 10,000 black eggs, and they're starting to eat some suns. Oh, yeah. And now the, the techno-pope and his folks are in power. Ooh, let's see. Yeah, let's see how the darkness and the light clash in, in one grand finale here. Before we close out on the first half of the in-call, let's do some final segments, Amanda. We'll start by making a list. Uh, We always like to do this at the end of a part one episode. We're just going to make a quick top three list based on what we've read so far. I feel like a lot of these will be quick because we've discussed at least some of them. Um, Our list today was designed by you, so why don't you introduce it and then you can start us off with your number three. Since this is a sci-fi thing, I was like, mm-hmm. we gotta, we gotta mention the sci-fi concepts. So, yeah. um, the top three made-up sci-fi concepts, and it's just Ooh. like any anything. Let's do it. I'm ready. You can start us off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, should we start with the the lower up to yeah, the higher? Yeah, build up to yeah. your favorite. Um, so I said the andro. I, I'm going to pronounce it andro genes. Yeah. Androgynes? And, andro- yeah. Because it's androgynous, so it would be androgyne, right. I guess. Yeah, that's fine. Androgyne? It's Andro-gyne? made up, so we we did our part to <laughs> do our best. <laughs> yes. The androgynous folks. Um, so that would be like um, uh, Saloon um, and also the Emperor S, who's actually like different from Saloon, but also is considered yes. an androgyne. So... I just found that fascinating, the idea of, like, these non-binary people are um, elevated to this really mm-hmm. yeah, high yeah. status. Yeah, and the press kind of codes like that way, that. too. I think he's addressed as a man by the others. Yeah. I should check that. But he is sort of coded, drawn, presented to be that like that, so... Yeah, my number three is right. Funeral Trash exactly. City, like the techno priest home. I, mostly just because there's such great <laughs> moments early in it with there's a lot of like probing arms. I would also shout out the the thing you mentioned where you get that side shot of the tube sucking the organs and those guys are bantering very casually about it. Like it's just their boring nine to five. I was like, OK, yeah, yeah. this is a good example of apparently <laughs> this bureaucratic entity is like uber powerful because they're just sucking up organs and apparently reusing them recycling them so creepy casual and like i said i think that's the moment in the story where either is going to totally fall apart for somebody or it'll finally click together so that was my number three mm-hmm. i like it um my number two is the the techno oh, sure. yeah. and his techno followers i just <laughs> i find that fascinating just and, and the fact that they're called techno, right? So the the technology that they create is also a part of their religious harbor. I'm not sure about that, but like, I, I want to learn more about I mean, about they made their sure. robot egg thing in the shape of a spider. So you, we know their vibe. They're they're the they're the death metal cult, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The yeah, cardio, the, the cardio claw. claw. Cardio claw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what the hell? My number two is the entire Prez vibe. So we got a lot with the Prez, right? Because he's cloned immediately as soon as we meet him. Oh, yeah. I also like that, I mean, I don't need my social commentary to be so blatant, of course, but the inner cuts with his very 
I don't know, Elysium-like perfect uh, Eve, or not Eve, what am I thinking of, Garden of Eden, you know, this utopia that he lives in, and then, of course, it's contrasted against everything else. Everything going on with him, though, the one place that that kind of falls down for me, I wish they would have done a little more with the cloning, but that was such a great intro. I thought it was very evocative and effective and concise. Mm -hmm. The Necrodroid stuff has been kind of, it feels derivative now. I know it's not because this was made before the stuff that made it derivative was made. (laughs) This is the originator of some of those ideas, but I I just don't think some of those things are that cool. Like, it's literally a tank the the first version of it is just a floating triangle like it's that stuff i thought was underwhelming a little bit it could have been creepier could have been weirder i guess especially if it's going to be called the necro droid and it's just robots though it's like just robots (laughs) so the press stuff i think is great but that specific element is like eh, whatever not the best i also like the the cloning aspect i was like that's so cool yeah great intro for him (laughs) um so my number one thing is concrete seagulls. So I'm talking sure. about the about Depot. Um, it, it's never really explored. We know that Depot can have dreams, and he dreams about a concrete dove. So uh-huh. he's got some like desire and stuff, and he's got emotions. And but is that because of the inkle that he had swallowed earlier, or is that just like? Was he always able to talk and and like can't, was he always animated? What what even? <laughs> like, I know. So... <laughs> and when he meets when he meets John the first time when he's doing Jesus work when he's Christ like, yeah. John does talk to him like he would be expected to converse, doesn't he? He kind of like yeah, calls he... out to him and stuff. So it's as if it's as if he expects him to respond, which I think is telling, right? No. Yeah, but I wasn't sure if that was. Because he, when he comes upon him, Depot is already sermonizing, so he knows that he can speak. Or is it because he spoke beforehand? So yeah, there's a lot of questions. But I just I find him really interesting, and I'm just like, why is he in this narrative? He's vibing out. Yeah, (laughs) I like him though. Make him him. Jesus Christ again. It can't because the ink (laughs) all got absorbed by the Sun Prophet kid. (laughs) But uh, yeah, let's bring back Jesus Christ Bird. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My number one is the Halo gun, or at least the moment with that, the Halo ring gun, whatever they call that. I just love in sci-fi when there is a sudden powerful thing introduced for the first time. Usually, obviously, you have to make that intro kind of wild just like the cancer tumor effect it had that whole shit the later there's a soldier who gets infected with it kind of after the fact and he just explodes yeah i just enjoy a really powerful thing that isn't explained that clearly uh and mm-hmm. the effect of that the drawing of it the creepiness bulbous yeah just i don't know it was gross and kind of i uh, thought effective uh, to me the one failure of it of course is a lot of these moments we've talked about have had this it's just narrated too much on the page there's one too many dialogue boxes of them saying the halo gun put on this it's the halo gun look out for the halo it's just like all right yeah let's just let this cool moment happen you know show me some interesting art of some strange effects and um yeah i still thought that worked pretty well though yeah yeah i agree like the the bulbous like they they go like anti-gravity you know so they're like floating up and then they like explode from the inside and their clothes are tearing it's just it's a really powerful image and and creepy as hell i love it it's gross and it it is a great thing to reinforce like we clearly don't know the powers at play here we don't really under we can't fully predict you can't fully understand what hell kind of science has been unleashed in this world (laughs) so yeah i like the threat of that in, in a sense too 
All right, let's conclude the episode, Amanda, part one here with our Please Continue Make It Stop. It's a classic segment for us since we're halfway through. We're going to just talk about something briefly at the end that we like, want to continue, and want to make it stop. Let's just make it stop, Amanda, because it's the over-narration by a mile and a half. It's not even close. I mean, I guess you could nitpick the characterization, and we, we have. Not even nitpick, just assess, analyze. But, like, there's just too much on... There needs to be way more panels and pictures with no words. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, that was like my also my make it stop was just that. Yeah. The when the text boxes already describe what I've already seen with yeah. the picture, it's just unnecessary. Yeah. I get the fear. I, I noticed that we had the same one. That's why I lumped us together. Yeah. But yes, I get the fear <laughs> of it sense. because you're doing such daring world building with true madness on every page. But it's it's enough without the second, third, fourth references. It really is. Yeah. Like I, I feel like yeah. even they introduce the acid lake in that very first section when he almost gets tossed in, and then I feel like every other time we go by it, they're like, the acid's eating away at the ship. The acid's gonna get us. The acid. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah man. Like, okay, <laughs> you've sold it well. Like you showed it disintegrating things. You showed a person falling. Like I don't know. It's just too much. That's like not even close to me to make it stop. Like yeah. be more confident in the storytelling. Um, What's your please continue then? Um, I'm enjoying the complexity of the plot. I know that there are some yeah. like plot holes and stuff like that, especially like with the characters. But I just I love that there's a lot of multi-level conflicts that are yeah, really okay. interesting that are being played up. So it's not just about Defoe and like. Um, and what's going on with him but there's I mean like the entire galaxy the entire world is at stake and then also on earth where you know it's just well on Tur 61 or whatever yeah. it's called <laughs> yeah. there's also their interlevel war going on and it's just all these multi-layers of just conflict I'm really enjoying that I think that that's that's going really well. I love yeah. I love this complexity. The the politics stuff has has done a lot for me. Piqued my interest. I want to know yeah. the bigger machinations. So I'm into that. I think it's just the art for me. I've already praised it enough. Said all the small things I liked about it. What works for me about it. So that that's just a blanket. Please continue for me. Yeah. Um, Story wise, though, I'll call it something specific. And I, know I just mentioned it, but say it again. It's just like political maneuverings, like the way the prez is living, the empire council at the end, the the way the techno priests are trying to take over and how they're doing that manipulating the endo guard or the ecto guard i don't remember the the purple guard <laughs> purple mm-hmm. gun guard uh yeah i just think that when you're dealing with these kind of chaotic mythic even psychedelic worlds that clearly don't need to make sense and won't you know we're not going to get explanations for everything that's the fun having enough grounded elements like that just keeps me keeps it feeling like something i can comprehend instead of like a total psychedelic exercise so yeah i i've enjoyed that i don't even think it's like perfectly done or something but it doesn't have to be it just needs to sew this thing together so that it's not just a series of crazy images i can stare at it's actually a um story (laughs) so yeah i agree please more of that to keep it together (laughs) please sew it sew it up (laughs) as best you can (laughs) Uh, good times um any final thoughts then on the first half of the incall or the inkle nope all right let's necrodroid out of here let's transform as best we can anyway um the next episode will be coming up next friday our book club episodes always release on friday so check us out for part two um any final closing thoughts on this amanda i don't think we had any right 
No, I think we're we'll good. Do, we'll do reminders next time, folks. If you've enjoyed this, I'd mention again, we have Facebook and Instagram accounts up at the Lightly Literary Podcast, all one word. So check us out there. And again, any reviews you can leave us on uh, iTunes, Spotify, any podcast platform would be super helpful. And we always do appreciate that. We'll be back with part two next week. And until that time, we'll see you between the pages. Bye.